0: Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat.
1: You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: As we welcome you along to the programme and I'm just seeing it's a story that's broken in the last hour on the news wires, one of those really sad, tragic stories of uh, an investigation under the, underway after the body of a little six-year-old boy was discovered in a car in Dunmore East in uh, County Waterford. His uh, body has been removed to University Hospital Waterford and woman in her late 30s was arrested near the scene and she's been detained at Waterford Garda station and medical attention has now been made available uh, to her um, as required while she's in uh, custody. Obviously the state uh, pathologist has been uh, informed and the Gardaí say results of the post-mortem. And the little boy just six years of age uh, will determine the course of the investigation it's just really sounded like one of those really sad sad uh, tragic stories uh, may the little lad rest in peace uh, 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls if there's anything you want to share with us this morning texts and whatsapps are open as well 0862103103 we'd love to hear from you throughout the morning and I see the RTE licence fee is back on the agenda and has been spoken about again and this is because the that Miho Martin brought it up and mentioned it yesterday and he says that the TV licence if we hand over the collection of the TV licence to the revenue commissioners then it actually could come down in price at the moment it's €160 euro, uh, a year now Micheál Martin saying that as his views, that puts him at total odds with the taoiseach of Varadkar and the media minister Catherine Martin because they're both in favour of scrapping the licence completely and instead they're both in favour of RTE getting all of their funding from the exchequer. And the coalition is very much split on the future of the TV licence because you've got ministers Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue. They both believe that the annual charge should be kept. TV licence should remain in place. So there's a lot of different viewpoints within the government. Now, the Taoiseach, the Micheál Martin said the returns from the charge, if they were collected by revenue, he reckons revenue would manage to collect 100% of the charges. And if that happened, it would mean the €160 euro fee, where it currently is, would conceivably be brought down. You know, The suggestion there from Miho Martin is if everybody paid it, we would all pay less because of course we know what happens now. I think about 70% of households pay the TV licence so it is believed that there, now others will say I don't have a TV, I don't have to pay for it, but there is a lot of evasion when it comes to paying the TV licence. So if everybody paid into the pot, then all of us would actually end up paying uh, less. Now Miho Martin dismissed concerns that if if you were to hand the TV licence over to the revenue commissioners, it would basically mean it would be a new tax for people. And some of you even, even say, would it not be similar to the water charges? And we all know what happened when they tried to introduce water charges. Mihol Martin says it would not be a new charge. But all he's suggesting by giving it to revenue is it would make it mandatory, adding that the majority of people do already pay their TV licence. He criticised scrapping the licence fee completely uh, and saying total government support for the public service media in RTE as well as radio and newspapers would make it difficult them to separate the media and the government. He warned it could lead to unhealthy consequences. He says the idea that a government or a central government into the future would actually be the decision maker in respect of how much media gets every year. He says, I think that that could lead to a whole other unhealthy consequences of democracy. Now, he says we may think Ashut be and we'll keep the dividing line and everything will be fine. But he said, we will see, he said, all you need to do is look at what happens in other parts of the world. He said, it's a very serious issue. He says, one that can't simply be fudged. Now, ministers have also previously warned of the possible consequences of having RTE solely funded by the government. Uh, Some ministers worry if, if, for example, Sinn Féin came into power, they would have concerns there. Now, at the moment, RTE get about 200 million a year from TV licence sales and of course they get the rest of their money from advertisement and from sponsorship. The Fianna Fáil leader said the government will have to sign off on initial plans to overhaul the TV licence and he reckons they're going to have to do it by the summer of this year and the reason for that timeline is that if there's going to have to be any kind of changes in the legislation, if they want that legislation passed during the lifetime of this government, then they are going to have to start seriously looking at the TV licence and overhaul it uh, by at least the summer of this year. Now American politicians have been praising the Irish TV licence model and the way media is funded by the public and they've been saying that seemingly to Micheál Martin because he of course is in Washington this week and he says that some of the politicians in the US uh, are saying, you're so lucky in Ireland look what we have here, we have a number of private operators, you know they hope, uh, you know, organisations like uh, Fox uh, Fox News who have a very definite political uh, uh, viewpoint Micheál Martin said politicians always criticise and they're never happy with the media and every politician uh, gives out and complains about coverage but that's very much the way it is But he says stand back, we have something important in this country, we have a job to try and get that to the public and he said that's what's important and then you know, he went on to talk about how important the media is and media matters. And, you know, he quoted during the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, the role that uh, media uh, played. And I would say that wasn't just public service media. I think all of us, even in uh, local radio and all of the newspapers and uh, local newspapers all played a role when it came to getting the messaging out about uh, COVID-19. Anyway, his comments uh, come as two key government commissioned reports Into RTÉ's governance and into RTÉ's culture, they're due out in the coming weeks. Samuel Martin is saying the government won't do anything; they won't make any kind of a decision about how overhauling the state broadcaster is funded until they get to see those reports. Take a look at what's in those reports, and then their decisions will be made. But he's very much in favour of leaving a TV licence; it might come under a different name, but take the at the moment it's on post have to collect it's up to and post to collect uh, the money and they've never been able to get 100% of people to pay the TV licence Revenue commissioners they're always better getting to collect uh, charges for whatever reason could it be that everybody fears uh, the taxman so he believes if you give it to the revenue commissioners let the revenue commissioners take over let them start to collect the TV licence you know perhaps it would be called a household charge was what they were uh, talking about at one stage a broadcast charge was another name that they put on it but if you give it to the revenue commissioners, they will get as near to a hundred percent of people to pay, and it would mean everyone who has always paid their TV license would pay less. And I think people would be very happy. Those, the majority of people who do pay their TV license, I think would be happier to hear that everyone is going to pay into the pot, and therefore you would uh, pay less because people feel it's unfair if they're paying their TV license year on year, and then some of their neighbours might actually be boasting about the fact I've never bought a TV license in my life. Listen just when I was talking about Miho Martin and the TV licence. Somebody says, Miho Martin is only dreaming. There are people in Cork starving out there and he's worried about the TV licence. He needs to uh, wake up. That is the reality of the situation uh, for many people today. That's my text to 0862 103 103. Now anyone who has ever passed through the doors of Drumahan National School, please listen up because as people in drumahan will know, the pupils, the current pupils are about to move into a brand New building, which has been built directly behind the old school. Now, once the move is complete, the next phase of the project is going to be to knock down the old school, and it's a school that was built in the mid 1960s. But to mark the occasion and to give people an opportunity to remember. Their memories of the old school uh, today after when the pupils go home from school, the school is going to remain open from half past three until seven o'clock this evening for a walk through. They're going to have old roll books out there'll be old photographs all on display in the rooms for people just to browse around at their leisure. So they're putting a shout out for all members of the community but especially they'd love to see past pupils of the school to come along to this event this evening before that school, the old school is eventually knocked down. So between half three and seven tonight Drumahan National School will be open uh, to the public if you were a past pupil. And thanks to uh, Dennis Murphy for sending on that news and we wish the best of luck to everybody at Drumahan National School as they move into their brand new building. Cork City residents who've been experiencing ongoing water issues So, set to protest tomorrow outside the Cork office of Ishka Aaron to discuss what people have been putting up with. I'm joined by Solidarity TD uh, Deputy Mick Barry. Good morning to you Mick. Hi Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Am I right in saying that this issue has been ongoing now for well over 18 months?
3: I think 18 months would be uh, about right. Um, I mean I started having a surge of texts and emails uh, coming in to me. Uh, About 18 months ago, um, it was around about the time of the uh, new Lee Road Waterworks being uh, put into action. Uh, And, um, you know, the uh, design and the building and the operation of the waterworks was given to a private company. And they started treating the water in a different way than had been done previously by the local authority, which was Cork City Council uh and uh they messed it up they messed it up big time uh, in my opinion and that's the the start of the problems that we've been having now there are a number well, of. okay in in what in
2: what in what way do you believe they messed it up
3: yeah um it's essentially um the, the 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 water to hand was too hard and it needed to be softened okay um which which is not unusual yeah um The the local authority had tended to to soften it uh, with lime previously. Um, But uh, this time around, instead of using lime, I think caustic soda was used. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. It's done in many other countries and and it works fine. But I think there was too much uh, put into the system. And I think that uh, account wasn't sufficiently taken of the fact that the majority of the piping that runs uh, underneath the city uh, is between 65 and 100 years old. And did did they they
2: admit that they put too much caustic soda in?
3: Ah, that's a good question. Uh, (laughs) um, Well, you see, uh, I think they have kind of hinted that they have done so. um, But I I think people who who, who work in that uh, area... Uh, have made it clear and have spoken out uh, that that this was the original uh, problem and and essentially what happened was that uh, the treated water then ripped the sediment off the inside of the pipe Yeah, it was the old,
2: it, yeah, it was like a perfect storm. It was the caustic soda should have worked but it was when it mixed with the old pipes
3: uh, yeah and it might have worked if it, if it had been put in i think uh in 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 lesser quantities um so it was the caustic soda it was the quantity it was the old pipes but you don't then, you don't you
2: don't know for sure if they did actually put in more you're just assuming that they did
3: i, I i'm doing a bit more than assuming yeah okay. i'm doing a bit more than assuming okay um so when people turn on 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 the taps then the water has been orange the water has been brown uh the water has been dirty uh, there are a small number of households for whom this has been going on for more than 18 months. But as a problem on a mass scale, I think you, you, you date it back to 18 months ago. So but, but they've, had a long Aaron, time, they've had a long time to sort it out. Yeah,
2: and Ishka Aaron, I, I know when we've contacted them because we've certainly dealt with this issue since it started, as you say, 18 months ago. Ishka Aaron then started saying that they were flushing the pipes. Because if if that is the initial uh, problem, that too much caustic soda went in, you assume that they just flush it all out put the correct amount in, and then the problem is solved. But that well, doesn't seem to have solved the problem.
3: Yeah, so there's a few points about that. Um, first of all, the, the flushing that has been done has been localised flushing, all right? OK. So if you, if you have a lot of reports, uh, say in the Dublin Hill, Valley land area, uh, the water working team are sent out and, and they, they flush the local water supply out. Now, there's a few points about that first of all uh has that tended to improve the situation i I would say more often than not it has done but it has tended to be short term in other words the problems then arise again a number of weeks or a number of months down the road the second thing is ish are spending a lot of money on ads urging people to conserve water and meanwhile tons of water is being flushed uh in uh, cork city And thirdly, we've got a highly skilled uh, group of water workers working in the local authority um, who, you know, could be upgrading the water systems and improving the water systems in the city. But instead, they're being used on this firefighting exercise of going flushing water in areas. And it's taking up uh, about a third of their time. It's a a terrible waste.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I'm assuming replacing it would be a major job, but replacing those old pipes
3: it would be a major job uh it's 54 percent of the piping uh in cork um and have been asked about this Um they say that it would cost 500 million euro Whoa. to do the job in its in its entirety and they're also saying that there would be disruption involved as in you know you, you couldn't do it without tearing up uh, streets uh, but it could be done on an area by area basis it wouldn't be all at the one time um that That's uh, a huge job of work. Uh, but if, if you were to get to the root of this problem, uh, it would seem that that is an option that yeah. would need to be
2: considered. And, and this brown, dirty water, I mean, I've seen video uh, footage, I've seen photographs. I mean, it just looks um, uh, hideous. uh in our pains to point out, uh, it, is, it is safe to drink, but I just don't know how many people will be drinking it.
3: Yeah, okay. So, um, Ishgairn came before a committee of Cork City Council uh, some weeks back, uh, and they said that uh, it's it's not safe to drink if, if it's uh, taken when it's brown or orange with the, the manganese in it, okay? So, they say it is safe to drink if you let your taps run, uh, and then the water runs clear, which more often than not does do, okay? Yeah. Um, but... Uh, it might not be as straightforward for that for someone who was, say, for example, blind or someone who was partially sighted uh, or for uh, a very old person who, you know, maybe wouldn't have their faculties about them as much as when they, when they were a younger person. Right. Um, so um, I, I don't think that that's a, a straightforward across the board uh, solution. And I also think that, you know, the Ishgair and our pains to make the point that the water is tested, it's tested by the Environmental Protection Agency, it's tested by the HSE. But are they testing the water from the uh, waterworks or are they testing water at source? Um, you know, the on
2: f- people's taps. Have you been able to find out? I
3: haven't received uh, any uh, clear cut assurances that there has been widespread testing. Uh, of the water at source. In other words, uh, in the uh, households and communities which have suffered the most from the problem.
2: And is it true that that this water is actually damaging household appliances?
3: Yes, uh, it is. There's no question uh, about that. So the type of appliances that we're talking about uh, are uh, washing machines, uh, dishwashers.
2: Electric showers. uh,
3: Last night, I was invited into the home of a family who who had just had to spend um, just shy of 400 euro replacing shower. Um, uh, And, you know, I'm not saying that, that, you know, uh, every household in the city that has been affected by this has had a household appliance wrecked, uh, but it's not uh, rare for that to be the case. And I understand um, that a city councillor uh has written to the um, uh, the CRU what's that? the commission it's, it's, it's for the,
2: regulation of Utilities. this is the the green councilor Oliver Moore and he wants them to in, investigate are you're you supportive of that call I imagine
3: Yes I am uh, and it'll be interesting to see uh, whether the the, the the regulator says that these households are entitled to compensation. Uh, if they are, uh, there'll be, you know, more than one or two households who'll be but, able to do But I, but I, I know, I know
2: in the 18 months when we've had listeners contact us, just totally, you know, frustrated with this ongoing uh, issue. Uh, they, you know, they talk about things like you put on a white wash and you, you think the water is okay. And halfway through the white wash, the water decides to go this brown discolor, this discoloration appears. You can ruin your washing.
3: Oh, you can, and uh, you know, it—it it, it might be the school uniform for the kids, or the football yeah. kit for—for for the kids, or, or you know, um, um, sheets from the bed destroyed. And are you destroyed. hearing? Are you
2: hearing of families buying many families buying bottled water? They just don't trust, even when you run it and it runs clear. I'm assuming there's some families won't even trust that.
3: Uh, uh, there's quite a large number of households who are relying on bottled water now. And going out and spending up to 20 euro a week on bottled water, which is a thousand euro a year in a cost of living crisis. No, I'm not saying that every household is is paying out a thousand euro on bottled water. I've spoken to quite are, a few.
2: but some are, and uh, and that's, some are. And that's are gone up. As, that's gone up as well now with the deposit and return scheme. And I know before anybody says they will get their deposit back, but they're going to be going over and back with their bottles to get their their, their refund. And I know John in uh, Ballyvallen uh, says we have a jar we have a jar on the window that we use to check that the water is clear before turning on our washing machine our, our shower. My seven year old will come to me and ask, "Is the?" water safe dad in order to brush my teeth we have to buy bottled water in order to make babies bottles uh, because we feel boiling the tap water isn't safe for them even when it's clear we've had to replace dishwasher washing machine and water mains shower all within six weeks of each other from the dirty water we brought it up to Irish um, but to no effect we've had clothes destroyed because of the washing machine without checking the water and another uh, in Ballyvalan Dennis says eight months after installing a new shower he had to have it replaced as it was ruined by filthy water and the manufacturer wouldn't stand over it because said it was the water and not the shower so he actually has the manufacturer who says the reason for that shower being replaced is nothing to do with the shower being faulty it's to do with the water so there is a public meeting uh, a a protest tomorrow outside Ishka Aaron. have Ishka Aaron engaged with the local people because I know there's been some public meetings
3: well, there was a public meeting held in the uh, Maldron Hotel in Shandon a couple of weeks back. Uh, Ishka Aaron were invited to come and address householders who'd been directly affected uh, themselves, a number of whom uh, were introductory speakers at the meeting. Uh, Ishka Aaron uh, chose not to attend uh, that meeting. Um, I actually discovered that they wouldn't be attending when when I read it in, in the evening echo. Um, did, the they say what,
2: did they say why they, they didn't want to attend? They, they,
3: They did. They said that uh, if they were to attend uh, every public meeting organized by a public representative across the state, they'd be doing nothing but attending uh, public meetings and kind of indicated that they preferred to have uh, discussions uh, with councillors at councillor committee meetings and the like, uh, rather than uh, uh, public meetings directly with the people directly affected. Um, I've no problem with them having briefing meetings for TDs and councillors. I think they should do that. But I I think they should also um, have direct public engagement with people that have been affected by the mistakes that they have uh, made. Um, I think it's remarkable that 18 months since this crisis emerged, I think it is a crisis, uh, that there has been, to my knowledge, zero engagement directly uh, with the householders directly affected other than when the householders ring the complaints department uh, and maybe someone is sent out to the house. Um, so the, the feeling at that meeting was that if, you know, Ishka Aaron won't come to the people, the people should come to uh, Ishka Aaron. So that's and happening that's
2: t- t- tomorrow morning at, um, at at 12. A listener there says, imagine if water charges were introduced and the service was paid for, could you imagine the service people would have? We need to pay for our water you were somebody that was very much against water charges, Mick.
3: Yeah, totally against water charges, and and I hold to that view. But I am strongly in favour uh, of major public investment uh, in our water services, and that would include the piping here in Cork City. It's it's like the issues of housing and health. the The question is posed as to who pays. Uh, is it the pay taxpayer payer, and you know uh, people who might be um uh, um. Um, on, on low incomes, uh, or is it the, the, the wealthy, the super wealthy within uh, our society? I mean, we have to decide um, if we want better public services, who pays? And I think the, the idea that we don't have uh, really significant wealth taxes in a country where wealth is concentrated in so few hands, uh, that's something that has to change.
2: Okay, all right. That meeting is tomorrow. It's going to be in office in uh, Cork City at uh, twelve noon. Mick, we leave it there. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. So just to say- Just
3: to say it's in Eglinton Street at the side of City Hall. Hope to see people there.
2: Okay, thanks for that, Mick. Uh, Thanks, Thanks, Patricia. Bye-bye. That is uh, Solidarity TD for the uh, City uh, Deputy Mick Barry. And your heart would go out uh, to the people that have been affected, as they say, if you've seen any of the photographs. I know there's been photographs on uh, various websites and on the newspapers. I mean, it's just the water looks absolutely disgusting. Um, There's no way you would even clear, I think I'd have an issue with with, uh, trying to drink it. Anyway, uh, let's hope that uh, something is done to sort it out for the good people of the city that is affected by it. Now this week the Oireachtas Health Committee heard from organisations who are working with dementia patients that the biggest issue in terms of maximising support is staffing. It it actually isn't funding. One of those organisations who addressed their concerns was Family Carers Ireland and joining me from that group is uh, Catherine Cox. Good morning to you Catherine.
4: Good morning, Patricia.
2: And and you're welcome. Am I right in saying that this is a nationwide issue, lack of workers to take up caring roles, but especially when it comes to dementia patients?
4: Yeah, you you absolutely are. Um, And um, I suppose we've been saying this for many years and a a huge part of the problem is the terms and conditions of employment that are offered um, to care workers, paid care workers, um, and particularly care workers who are not working for the HSE. And I think that's important to say because HSE home care workers would have better conditions, terms and conditions and benefits than those who are working, for example, in maybe private companies or not-for-profit organisations where the HSE would subcontract or tender out um, home care uh, if they cannot do it within the HSE. So I think that's a really important point. Um, And when I talk about terms and conditions of employment, I mean not just the rate of pay, but also travel pay for care workers you know, progression opportunities as well and payments when clients go into hospital. And this is a huge issue. So for for many organisations, if they um, take on and they have um, home care workers working for them, if the HSE are paying that contract, when a client or a person goes into hospital, quite often then the worker is not paid for those hours. So it's very difficult to recruit and retain somebody when they know those hours are not guaranteed. And as I said, they're not getting travel pay if they're travelling, you know, some could be tra- travelling 10, 20 kilometres to and back be- from a, a family. Between
2: so, yeah. And, I, and I've always felt it's very unfair, uh, particularly, you know, people who work with um, elderly people and, and in, in this case we're talking about um, mainly elderly people with uh, dementia uh, and often they will get periods of time where they go, they'll go into hospital or they'll like get periods of time where yes. they're lucky enough to get respite and it just seems so unfair that the home care worker uh, is expected that the hours are going to be cut, obviously they're going to be cut, because, um, but it's not their fault that the hours were cut.
4: It, it's not and it's very difficult to get another um, family for somebody to go in with you know very quickly because obviously there's a lot involved in setting up new families you know they have to do a visit they have to go to the home they have to do a care plan so that it means that that worker then is down those hours and down that payment so you know why would anybody Take really want to work the reason the reason people work in that area is because it is so rewarding but it is also quite challenging and difficult and so the very very least we could do is offer you know good terms and conditions of employment um in order to as i said just to to recruit and retain people and some employers do this um like we employ home care workers ourselves we do pay travel well and we do offer high rates of pay because we know the value of keeping recruiting and keeping really good people but it's very difficult to do that when that payment is not pa- passed on to you by um the hsc so it is a really difficult area and it's so difficult. We have great people working for us and we're really, really lucky. But it's a real difficulty right across the country to, to get into people. Do
2: the HSE pay their own home care workers when they're client?
4: They do. Ah. They do, because they're, yeah, yeah. And that's where the fall lies and that's where the difficulty lies. Um, those those workers would also have pension entitlements. But again, that's not passed on to subcontractors or when it's tendered out. So it just makes it a very uneven playing field and really difficult then for organisations like ourselves and others um, to attract and keep those people and to keep them and, you know, to look after them a while.
2: Are we once again back to the problem that caring work is simply not valued in this country.
4: We, we absolutely are, Patricia. Um, and, you know, we talk about how uh, carers save our state, family carers save our state over 20 billion euro every year for family carers to care safely for their loved ones, They need the support of community care. They need, you know, home care packages. They need people coming in to give them a break from their caring role. But when we have such a crisis uh, and shortage in staffing, it puts all the more pressure on the family carer in the home um, and the disabled person who's trying to get their support, such as, you know, uh, personal assistance services, all of that. It just, and you're right, it goes back to do we value, do we recognise family carers for what they do? Do we recognise that most older people, most people with disabilities want to live in their own homes for as, as long as they possibly can, but they cannot do that without the state supporting them, without the state stepping up and taking you know, dual or joint responsibility for care in the home. Because families can't do it on their own. They shouldn't have to. Caring should be a shared responsibility between the family, the community and the state. Um, And for us, that's what's really important. And I know there's a referendum coming up and it's really important that people know about that um, and get out and vote as well on the 8th of March and look into what all of that is about. I
2: was watching, and and I'm sure you were were watching as well, Katie Hannon's uh, programme up up front, uh, couple of weeks ago where you know where they dealt with mm-hmm. with the care of care of the elderly and there was some really sad stories you know people coming on and having to go on tv to share their stories i imagine Absolutely. you hear distressing stories from family carers doing their very best to try to manage at home catherine
4: oh look at we do i think every day uh, some part of the country and it goes back to this thing as well of you know There's a complete postcode lottery, and we've said it so many times, of services in this country for family carers. Where you live depends on what you will, what you won't get. Um, Government in their program for government committed uh, to introducing what we call a carer guarantee, where carers, regardless of where they live, would have access to vital supports in their community when and where they needed them. Um, that was going to cost five million they 've given about two million of that, so there 's another three million they still haven 't given. You know the program for government is now in its fourth year i believe so um yeah. so you know we need to see that coming we need them. They can't just say we recognise, we value you. They have to put that into action and they have to fund services and supports for all family carers, whether they're caring for somebody with dementia, which brings its own challenges. But for any family care, whether that's caring for a child, an older person, a disabled person, they need those supports. They need therapies. They need um, you know, access to equipment. Um, and they just find that they're fighting and battling for everything. And it's it's exhausting and it's, um, it's distressing. Um, and many carers end up in burnout because they're not getting that support. They're not getting respite. Some families tell us they've never had a respite break. Um, one thing we're looking for is a minimum 20 days respite per year. Most families... Get very little, if any, if it, yeah, and certainly
2: since COVID, since the pandemic, uh, it's it's all but disappeared. And and I was reading um, uh, figures yesterday. I mean, uh, uh, they reckon about sixty four thousand people live with dementia at the moment in this country. I didn't realise the figure was, was was that high, but that figure, Catherine, is only going to increase because thankfully we're all living longer. But the longer we live, there is a higher chance that we're going to have more people with dementia. So this is a problem uh, that is, that's not going away.
4: No, um, I know the Alzheimer's Society uh, estimate by 2045 we will have 150,000 people Mm. uh, living with dementia. And that's, you know, each of those, um, every person with dementia most likely will have a family care supporting them at some point if they're living at home. So it's crucial that and as you said, people are living longer. That's, you know, advances in, in medicine. Um, better care in the home, all of that, which is a good thing. But at the same time, it means we have to put in more supports to ensure that their loved ones and their, their family cares can continue caring for them at home. Because as I said, that's where most people want to keep remain as long as they can. It's government policy to support people to live in their own homes as long as possible. They need to back that policy up with real action, um, putting in those supports, putting in those services, not leaving people waiting on, on waiting lists for one, two, three years. I mean, we see shocking stories in the news in the last few weeks. Children with scoliosis waiting for crucial operations. They're in... Massive pain, and they 're being left um, and again that comes back to sometimes you know staff shortages and I, I know our our CEO John Don said um, in the actctic committee there isn 't a, a golden bullet or a silver bullet you know to, to change this overnight, but We do need government, all departments working together. We need the Department of Health working, you know, with the Department of Education. We need the Department of Health with the Department of Disabilities. They need to come together and we need an integrated social care um, strategy, so that we can look at all conditions and we can look at all people who are caring for people with those conditions and see how we best support them. So you get the best outcome for the family carer and the best outcome for the person with, whether it's dementia or whatever their condition yeah, may be. It's
2: what everybody wants, and I know we prop up a lot of our health service by looking to overseas to to recruit overseas. I think in the figures, about twenty percent of healthcare workers come from over, overseas. But I take it the problem with going overseas for home care workers, the fact that they're not that highly paid, trying to get accommodation in this country, I'm assuming, is a huge would be a huge barrier.
4: Oh. it is. I mean, we know even for from people, you know, qualifying nurses, teachers right across the country, trying to afford to get housing is is almost impossible. Um, so, you know, if we are looking at bringing people in, then we need the infrastructure there, we need housing, we need um, you know, we need then services in their community as well. So it, it is a difficult one and I, I don't envy the HSE trying to tackle it, but I think at a very minimum, they need to tackle the issue that the terms and conditions for home care workers who are not employed directly by them they need to be able to offer them the same terms and conditions as they offer their own staff at least that will then make it more attractive we also need to see career progression you know for somebody who is working as a home care worker and if they're doing that for a number of years they need to see that you know they can move up the ladder if there's other opportunities for them again that's not there Um, and so They are areas that we can tackle and that we can look to attract and keep people in um, in the caring workforce.
2: Okay, and I'm always conscious when I have you on the programme, uh, Catherine, uh, you know, the very nature of of a programme like this broadcasting into people's homes. And there will be family carers uh, listening who are really, really struggling. Do you say to them to reach out to a group like yours?
4: Oh, absolutely, because, you know, our motto is no one should have to care alone, um, but we know thousands of family carers are doing it on their own. Um, so, you know, if there are carers out there, if they need support, if they need advice or sometimes just a listening ear and someone to have a talk, a chat with, we do have a free phone care line. It's one 800 and they can ring us, they can chat to one of our volunteers um, and just as I said, you know, a chat or maybe it's information. So, Maybe they don't know what they're entitled to. Yeah, And to.
2: sometimes just having a rant with somebody over the yeah, phone absolutely. It, it can often help. Listen, you, you do amazing work at uh, Family Carers uh, Ireland and we're always uh, delighted to have you on the programme. So thank you for that Catherine and have a lovely weekend.
4: Thanks so much Patricia. Good you mor- too. Take good care. Bye
2: bye. That is Catherine Cox, Family Carers uh, Ireland that national helpline number again one eight hundred twenty four zero seven twenty four. If you are a family carer and looking for some kind of support, please re- reach out they are a wonderful organisation. Now, yesterday on the programme, we went to Spittle where I was joined by Robert, who was talking about his restaurant that had a flash flood uh, yesterday morning at about half past five. And our attention now has been drawn to Mogile. Christian has contacted us. He is in Glenfia Estate in Mogile. He's actually chair of the residents' uh, association. Good morning, to Christian.
5: Good morning and thank you very much for having me on. Well,
2: you're very welcome. What's the situation in Mogili today?
5: The situation is in Glenfia. We have a swimming pool of water building up at the back of our estate. Um, Luckily, there is a mound of earth that had been put there by a landowner and is holding it back at the moment. But any more rain and it could break through at any time. We have sandbags on the way um, to try and mitigate that. And the landowner is coming back down with... um, an excavator to see if he can do anything else. But the question for us has to be asked is why do the lives of 32 households not matter to the powers that be? You know, they didn't matter on the 18th of October with the initial flood. They didn't matter on the 27th of December or any day since. You know, we we need the OPW to initiate Tranche 2 now. We can't wait 10 to 15 years. You know, we've invited uh, the OPW, Chair, the Fisheries, Cork County Council, everybody that we can possibly get a hold of to come and help us, to see the situation we're under. Like, we're all just rebuilding. I, I'm a nobody. I'm a father. I'm a husband. You know, I, I'm a I'm a homeowner who's under constant threat, as we all are in this estate. Of, OK, of talk, talk to me
2: about how bad some of the flood events were. I take it the October one, uh, at the same time when all the attention was on Middleton. Middleton was really badly flooded as well. You were flooded badly that day.
5: Very badly. We're, I mean, we're we're 32 houses in this estate, and there were 30 out of the 32 flooded.
0: Oh my God! The
5: water came in in a deluge. In within a half an hour, the estate was overwhelmed. In some parts, over a meter high. My my, and even higher than that, my wife and I eventually had to be. We were. I was in bare feet. We had a black plastic bag over our heads. I had to be rescued by a neighbour with a broken down jet ski and he towed us to safety outside the estate where we were picked up by a friend with a tractor who picked up our children from school. Um, it's been devastation here. Absolute
2: devastation. How much damage to your house?
5: My house? Um, I would say around 75,000 euros worth of infrastructure damage. Contents is a whole different story you're talking 70000 in in content.
2: I take it you lost everything, did you? All your every, white goods, couches, chairs,
5: tables—absolutely everything. We even struggled to get the door open because the floors had lifted. We timber floor in the hallway, and that had lifted, and it took a battle to get that open. Um, people, a, a neighbour of mine, Vivian, had to bring her children out through the window. Um, we're all traumatized. We all have PTSD. Where every time it rains, we're outside. With, we none of us got any sleep last night. Um, has has
2: Did you have flooding before last October?
5: We, we never really had
2: anything. There was slight water came through at one point but nothing that was. Nothing, nothing as devastating handle. as last October. No, no. And then there what was, happened What happened after Christmas the 27th of December? After, after
5: Christmas uh, similar to what happened today there was a build-up of water at the back of the estate runoff from fields. Um, I'm not sure exactly where it's coming from. I, 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 I don't have that detail. But This is why we need an investigation. And it just came, it was coming down in a deluge, building up like a swimming pool again. And then my wife and another lady and a couple of other residents managed to gather all the sandbags in the estate and put it up against that um, area of the field to block the estate. And then the landowner put a huge amount of earth there as well.
2: It's incredible what you've been asked uh, to do. I mean, it—it it, it really is the way we, the way you are describing it. It's like something out of a out of a catastrophe uh, movie. And and I assume, Christian, you—how long were you out of your home in I, October?
5: Well, my my children were out of home for over two weeks. Um, we had a very kind family, and they looked after our kids for two weeks. Um, sorry, no. Um, so, yeah, so we had to, my wife and I stayed away for one night. And we came back because we had to clean the house. We got four industrial diesel fires, four industrial fans. We had to bleach all of the timbers. We had to wait till it dried to a certain point, And then, you know, we could bring our kids home. We, we had to bring them home. Even though they were traumatized with the event, we had to bring them home because it's, it's their safe place. And at least their bedrooms oh no. were, were okay. But they live in their bedrooms now ever since... They, if they're not at school, they're in their rooms. Um, my son is has horrific nightmares. My daughter, she's regressed to the point where she's sleeping with us again. She's only four. Um, and she asks every day, are we going to be flooded again? Where's this toy gone? Was this destroyed in the flood?" You know, they're, they're traumatised. Yeah, children children it, shouldn't,
2: yeah. shouldn't have to live through that. No, they shouldn't. And flood insurance?
5: Uh, no, no, we, di- we didn't. Uh, we had flood insurance up until... Uh, 2022, and then there was a change made to our policy. Um, and, yeah, we didn't know about it until the assessor came and he said, I see you don't have flood insurance. And a lot of families in this estate were in a similar position. So we had to rely on the humanitarian aid.
2: Did that, um, did which, that cover everything?
5: That's a whole other story. That um, What they did is we had to hand in, fill out countless forms, hand in pictures, videos, every bit of information that we had on ourselves eventually they came back my lowest quote was 65,000 just to rebuild nothing more than rebuild no white goods no furniture and we were they came back and they offered uh, way lower i mean less than half of, of that and they told us that we would have to get all the work done before we got a penny we fought that and eventually they came back and they gave us two payments of uh 6,500 for 13 uh Thirteen thousand altogether, and that was to complete everything. And we had to show receipts and uh, invoices and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I've, I've, complete, I've, I've, we're we hearing that. Money to complete, yeah, don't. I
2: I don't know why that, that humanitarian fund has been made uh, so difficult. I I really can't get uh, to, to the bottom of that. The local TDs really need to get working on that and get so that sorted out because we, you're actually, not the only family being put through that.
5: Yeah, we are actually getting a lot of help from Liam Quaid, David Staunton, Mary Lennon and Foley. They're doing everything They're trying. they possibly They're can trying, to help yeah. us. Yeah. Um, but the, the actual help from the powers that be, the people that deal with the tranche two, the OPW creature, the fisheries, the council, you know, and we're still waiting on them. And so you live in,
2: in abject fear, Christian, every time you hear a rain forecast that says heavy rain is expected.
5: Yeah, I was on my way to work last night um, and I there were some reports coming that the rivers were going high and, and all that. And I just couldn't. I, I rang work. I asked for holidays. Thankfully, they were very good to me and they gave me holidays. I was awake all night. I was going out. I went out nine times last night um, and we're all the same. There's no the same way to with- live. It's no it's, it is
2: It is no way to live. Listen, and our, if it
5: happens again, I'd have to abandon my house. I'd have no other choice and, and, the and, structure couldn't take it. And you
2: can't sell. There's nobody going to buy a property. No, nobody that's, wants our
5: house. Yeah. As I said, we have to get to love each other in this, in this estate because we're going to be stuck together forever. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and I'm sure you're a great bunch. I'm sure yes, you're a great we are. bunch. are. They're
5: an amazing. They're yeah, an amazing. Yeah, and it's and tough. I have to commend everybody there were, after the initial flood, there were 150, 200 people came into the, this estate to help us.
2: Yeah, be a local people are great. Well, listen, amazing. Can I, ju- can I just say that the residents of Glenfield Estate are lucky to have you as, as chair. You're a great spokesman. We'll talk Thank to you, you again, uh, Christian, and really hope that uh, that water subsides uh, today and that y- you're not faced with another flood event. But thanks a million for reaching out and talking to us today. I really appreciate it. Thank Good you, very much. you Good morning to you. Good morning to you. God, it's just a dreadful way to live, isn't it? Who every time there is... A bit of rain and the children I mean I really feel for the children it's no way you know Christian is right when when children come home they want to feel safe in in their own little home no matter if it's a small little house or a huge palace home is home at the end of the day but to be going to bed in fear that there might be a flood event uh, it simply is wrong something needs to be done and done quickly for those people. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. just on other topics we've been discussing this morning the TV licence and uh, they, this is coming out of Wash because that's where Miho Martin is at the moment and uh, he's suggesting that revenue should take over collecting TV licence and by revenue doing it they'll get everybody to pay it because revenue are good like that and uh, we'd all pay uh, less. John uh, O'Donovan says if you change the TV licence and make it into a tax i.e. if you hand it over to revenue that will change uh, everything. John would be fearful if revenue take over the running of Collecting a TV license, will they not do similar with water? We saw what happened with water charges, but if you hand it to revenue, will they do something similar and we 'd have water charges in through the back door? That is john 's concern, and, and don o 'Donovan in the city was one of those who was very much out strongly protesting against water charges at the time. Eileen says, Patricia, we seem to be a very gullible nation uh, if we are to believe that the TV license will be lowered if it's taken the running is taken over by the uh, revenue. Uh, they'll talk about it being lower but that's because it's in in advance of a general election they did the same with things like USC and the local property tax we were told the USC would be abolished it was never abolished we were also told the local property tax would never go up and it has gone up do they think we are well able to pay bills there is less and less money coming into homes and all we seem to have is more bills and the bills that we do have just seem to be getting higher that's from Eileen who by the way also wants to congratulate everyone at Drummond National School when I mentioned they're about to move into their new uh, school and of course this evening the old school from half three today is open if people want to take a trip down memory lane if you were a former pupil Eileen says congratulations and well done to all of them on revenue taking over the payments or uh, the collection of the TV licence Tom says can the government not get the revenue commissioners to give back all the unclaimed taxes to their people while they're at it uh, says Tom. well listen Tom in defence of the revenue commissioners The revenue commissioners are saying to people, if you are due money back, you must contact them. They don't know unless you tell them what area you're due a refund on. And if it's identified you're due a refund, in fairness to revenue, they are good at giving out the money. But they don't know who's entitled to those refunds. You need to claim them uh, yourself. And when we were talking about care and particularly care of dementia patients, and says, Patricia, I looked after my brother-in-law for 15 years. He was a, an Alzheimer patient and he was delighted I was able to keep him at home. Well done. And that's a long, long time to be uh, caring. And Carmel in Mallows says, do we have any idea why it seems more and more people have been diagnosed with dementia as they grow older? Carmel, the reason Carmel is thinking about it, is she reckons when she was growing up, she doesn't remember dementia being as prevalent as it is today and I don't think there's any reason, well we do know why there's an increase in the number of dementia patients and why there'll be more into the future is because we are living longer than previous generations and of course if we have people living longer uh, because dementia traditionally is a complaint that affects older people. If we're living longer, of course, we're going to have more dementia patients, 64,000 at the moment. But there's there's no scientific reason as to why or is there any more. I think it's just that we know more about dementia, we talk more about it and we have a better understanding about it. Uh, and obviously then you've got wonderful organisations like the Alzheimer's Society uh, and people who keep an eye on how many dementia patients are in different areas. So that's why we get more accurate figures like that, roughly 64,000 people living with it. That figure is actually from the Alzheimer's uh, Society who say that figure will double in 20 years because uh, people are living longer. Now I want you to take a listen to this. It was from last weekend's Dancing with the Stars and it is the head judge Lorraine Barry who was defending the online trolling of contestant or she was calling out should I say the online trolling of contestant Katia Mia over her body shape and this is what Lorraine Barry had to say.
6: I'd like to send a message out to those who need to hear this. I am a world champion and I have the credentials to say this, but Katya is a beautiful dancer and all ladies and all men, whatever shape and size, they have the right to dance. And if you have a problem with that, It is your problem.
2: Stick it in your pipe and smoke it. Well done, uh, Lorraine uh, Barry. Now, well-known Cork comedian, Laura O'Mahony, who presents the Red Raw podcast with Olympian Rod Heffernan, has spoken out about personal trainers targeting her to lose weight and get in shape. And I'm delighted to say the lovely Laura joins me this morning. Good morning to Laura.
6: Good morning, Patricia. How are you? Well, it's
2: great to talk to you. Now, you had another baby about four months ago. I think Freddie, beautiful Freddie, was born. Was it since then that personal trainers have started approaching you and sliding into your DMs?
6: Well, there's a bit of that going on, Patricia. They've been mad to get me now for a while.
0: Planning for your next trip?
6: Uh, So I had Freddie uh, four months ago, nearly five months at this stage. And just there at the start of February, I thought I was safe because January was over. Uh, Into my DMs, into my direct messages on Instagram, personal trainer, uh, started off by saying, oh, you know, we think you're very funny. Uh, We've looked at your page. And we'd like to offer you a 12 week training program uh, to kind of get you back into shape. You can share details of your transformation uh, in exchange for this free service, blah, blah, blah. Right now on the surface. I mean, maybe there's some people would grab that opportunity. But for me, Patricia, what it felt like is they had gone in. They had looked at my Instagram page. They had thought she's a mess. She's after destroying herself there now. Uh, uh, we're going to go on and we're going to help her. She obviously wants to transform. She obviously wants this mummy makeover, fix all the damage she's done. And I just, they were backing up the wrong tree with me, really, Patricia, because it, I have no interest in transforming. I have had my three beautiful babies. I am a curvy girl. I'm quite happy in my skin. Not every day, but there are mainly I'm quite happy in my skin. And I actually think this kind of cold calling practice that they're doing on Instagram is quite detrimental because they don't know who's at the other end. Like, I don't genuinely think they know anything about my page or my career or my comedy or anything And I feel like it's cold calling and it's you could be targeting somebody vulnerable. Like,
2: yeah, it's it, it absolutely is dangerous. Did you engage
6: with them? Oh, I did. I said, first of all, my followers would not be interested in me being on a transformation. And I said, second of all, I'm quite happy in my skin and I don't feel like I need to transform. And he came straight back with a kind of a, oh, that's all part of our thing as well. You know, body image, positive body image, not that I'm trying to hard sell to you or anything. I just was like. If I need a trainer or if I need, uh, if I feel like I need, you know, there's obviously legitimate ones out there. I will go find them. I do a podcast with an Olympic athlete. If I need training, I'm sure Rob will provide it. (laughs) You know what I mean? He'll take you walking. It'll take me walking. We'll be walking around the marina. Yeah, we'll yeah. be happy out. But I, I do think it's dangerous because if it was somebody with an eating disorder or even yeah. Patricia, if it was a day where you had just, your jeans didn't tie, you're feeling a bit rubbish. You've like, I've had three sections. There can be days where you feel a bit frumpy. Like. It is just, I find it very damaging. And it, it's just, I think it's a dangerous practice. If I want help with my either life coaching or wellness or any of that, there are plenty of legitimate people that yeah. I will seek out. Yeah. But, but I, and, and I, no I matter all, what you.
2: I also think after having a, a baby, as you say, you know, Freddie's only coming up to, to five months. A lot yeah. of women struggle after having a baby and particularly after the third uh, child yeah. and they can be very yeah. low and very vulnerable and you know and then there's nothing worse than seeing somebody who walks out of the hospital and you know they're back into their size 10 Levi's and it's just exactly. And this notion
6: of like you know that you're going to bounce back and all that like I, I don't know will I bounce back because there's other factors you know there's like family genetics and all that And but this notion I think that the troubling thing for me is that we've looked at your pictures, we've decided you're perfect for this yeah. Um, because because of the need to transform. And in general, like if they had spent any time on my Instagram, they'd realise that I'm not about any of that. I, I would like everybody to love the skin they're in or even just be neutral. You know, you don't have to love your body and think, oh my God, my body's amazing. You can be like, today I have a body and it's doing me fine. Like, as in, I just, I'm all about, I just think the world would be a better place if we put a lot more effort into learning to love what we have as opposed to always chasing, this ideal or or perpetuating that that the ideal is to be skinny or to to look a certain way. I I just think, I I do think there are people that thrive off of you feeling bad. And so a young, vulnerable man, I'm third time mother, I've been around the block, but a first time man at home kind of feeling a bit lost and overwhelmed You know that that could be really detrimental to receive into your DMs, and no matter what, like it's written down in paper that will help you transform. That gives you the feeling of oh God, maybe I I must transform. What I'm doing is not enough. I, I need to bounce back. I need, and there is an awful lot on social media of like, you know, showing. That I've had the baby, but I'm still out there being a boss and I, you know, I, I've got my shape back and I'm doing my steps like that's not the reality. The reality is uh, half the time I'm covered in gawks. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, let's
2: just be honest. <laughs> and, and the reality is being a mum, uh, particularly in those early months, is tough going. So touch, And, and we, so don't, touch. we don't talk. I, I, I recently was, was chatting with somebody who's had a first baby and was, was, was talking about that, saying that and, and is afraid to say it to anybody, God, I'm finding this really hard because she's meant to be in this bubble with her beautiful baby yeah. and
6: isn't life wonderful?
2: Yeah. And there are days where life isn't wonderful for, for a young mother.
6: Worse than wonderful, Patricia is isn't it magical? Isn't every moment magical? Those initial days when you're home with a baby and you it's your first baby and you look around and you think, what what have I done? Like if I want to go out the door, I, I don't know how to do that anymore. I remember with my little girl Polly, she's nearly nine now. My shoulders didn't come down from around my ears for for months because of the the worry and you know there's the like. The stress about breastfeeding or bottle feeding, the pressures to, you know, keep up with that. And it's a very overwhelming time. And in many ways, like me springing back to being, I'd say I was only ever a size 14. Do you know what I mean? It's not like I'm springing back to being a size eight. But like it's like that that is really far down my list of priorities. I think we're all doing good to be to be keeping afloat, to have my three healthy babas who are safe and loved. You know, if I want to go for my walk, I'll go for my walk. I definitely do not have 12 weeks to dedicate to some sort of program that I'm going to be tagging you and then announcing that I've transformed. I don't want to transform, but there's no money in me then because I have no interest in transforming. Like, if I decide to be happy, And to to feel well and good in the skin that I'm in, sure, nobody's going to make money out of that. it will be easier for them if I'm miserable and if I think, oh, God, I have to change and I need to take part in this programme. And this person is my saviour. They're not my saviour. We have to teach ourselves to be our own saviours. Well done.
2: Well done. And by the way, when you talk about how you were with Polly, your, your first child, are you more relaxed with Freddie?
6: Oh, Freddie's rearing himself. <laughs> Freddie is rearing himself, not a bother on him. I often say if you could be your kind of second or third time mom on the first time, it yeah. would be so much easier. But you can't. And, and I'd love to, you know, see some of my friends having their first babies. You'd love to save them, but they can't be saved. You have to go through all the stress. You have to go to the I can meet you for two hours now because then it'll be his nap time. And we with the nap is, you know, you have to go through all that. Whereas with Freddie now, he is a chilled out soul. I'm a chilled out soul. There are days when I have my three kids here at home and I'm definitely dealing with sensory overload and need to go into the bathroom for five minutes to get a break. But like, that's just life, I suppose. But definitely a much more chilled out mother and a much more chilled out baby. And I'm in no rush to be doing any transforming. Well I, I'm I, grand I, see, as I, I am. Stay I,
2: out of me DMs. I saw you on uh, Insta the other day and uh, one of the children at the tin whistle. I, I think oh, we, yes. I think you were in the loo. <laughs> shouting, so a, that, shouting encouragement. <laughs>
6: worse than that, Patricia. uh, I was in the loo with the winter vomiting uh, bug and my child is outside playing the tin whistle, playing hot cross buns. (laughs) I just wanted to warn the the mothers and fathers of Ireland, the tin whistle starts to appear around second class. Be prepared. I mean, the gift of music, fabulous, but certainly wasn't music yet.
2: (laughs) Uh, By the way, just to go, when I played out Lorraine Barry's piece from Dancing with uh, with the Stars, what did you make of that? What did you make of what Lorraine Barry did for Katia? (laughs)
6: You know, I was sitting here watching it with my little girl and and my little boy, Alfie, and uh, it, we all stopped in our tracks. And my little girl, she's just turning nine. She was like, "That was very good," and I was like, "It really was." The way she looked down the camera, and yeah. it, it's the first time we've seen somebody kind of stand out in that way. I mean, Katya is an amazing dancer and a gorgeous girl, and I, t- I've totally experienced trolling, and it is often other women trolling women. And to see, uh, you know, somebody standing out and saying anyone can dance, no matter their shape or size, like to to start to in a public forum to to address people talking about weight, like who cares. Who cares, Patricia? Yeah. It's the least interesting thing about anyone, their weight. And I have a, a universal problem with people being kind of heralded for, you know, losing five stone or whatever. I, I don't care what weight you are. once you're nice. I, You know, like we talked about it on the podcast this week, we did a body image episode actually just coincidentally this week. And it's like, I, I don't care about any of that. Are you a good person? I don't care what size you are. And be I just kind. don't think it should be a subject for conversation. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. Be kind. Be kind. Be uh, kind. Yeah. That's and be kind online. Would you know, you su- we all suffer with the trolls. Somebody
2: says, um, "Ask Laura. Would she go into Dancing with the Stars? She'd be great."
6: Oh my God! Sign me up! Sign me up! I tell you, I wouldn't be able to dance at all, but I'd be the people's princess. They'd be like, "She's lovely. She can't dance." She'd get. You don't <laughs> she'd, know get that out now. The, she'd out the first. Week. Oh no! I I I went to a I was in a dance class years ago, and I went up to my dance teacher and I said, "I think I'm going to stick with drama." And he said, "I think that's probably a good idea." <laughs>
2: Cause Rob did it, didn't he? Didn't Rob do it? He did, yeah. and he
6: came. He was in. He got as far as week ten. Yeah, he did and really I well. can't. I need some of the footage. I've YouTube searched that a lot. Rob was amazing, and like that, he said he wouldn't have been a dancer at the start, yeah. but by the end of it, Twinkle Toes. I tell you, it's unbelievable. Yeah, he, you could learn. Yeah.
2: the the Red Rob uh, podcast. It's going well for the two. Of you. And you, you sound it's like going. I mean, I know you're friends, but it really comes across. There's a, there's a great bond between the two of you. I think, which yeah, ma- makes
6: the chemistry of it. I think it makes. I think it makes all the difference. And as well, you know, we're not two comedians. We're from two different backgrounds. I'm a comedian. He's an Olympic athlete. You know, we're not vying with each other for space. We're not trying to make quips with each other. Like, it's, you know, it's a friendship born out of... We obviously worked together on radio, but thankfully the friendship lasted beyond that. And now... You know, we're having a ball and it's going really well. It's out every Monday at 7 a.m. It's actually out at 10 to 7. And uh, it's it's just about going back to being real and normal, but you're kind of undoing all this notion of like, you know, fakeness and content and pressure online. This is just two normal people sharing their lives with you. And we all have the, the problems are universal. If you're an Olympic athlete or if you're a mom of three, your problems yeah, you are the great, same. You so both have
2: great um, honesty and I always feel listening to it, it. It's something I love to do that drives my husband insane. If we're out in a restaurant or a coffee shop and my uh, hubby will say, you're listening to the conversation behind you. not listening to a word I'm <laughs> saying. And I go, oh, yeah, I am, I am. I am. And, and I do that. And, and I feel on your podcast, that's what it's like. It's like you're eavesdropping yeah. on a conversation. And there's something magical about that.
6: Yeah, and I think it's a conversation between two people that get on well together, you know, like yeah. as in we, I joke that he's uh, my best friend and he doesn't reciprocate, but we are actually best friends and it does make, it makes a big difference. We like each other. We're not just using each other for the podcast. We enjoy each other's company. It makes a big difference, I think. And I think everyone feels included. You're eavesdropping on our conversation, but you're also part of it. Yeah. Please join us.
2: Yeah, and it's, as you say, it's 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 topics that affect all of us and topics that you'll find yourself just having like, conversations. It's just it's, like, Patricia. just you're like, all, we're all faced just with alive. it
6: no matter how many Olympic medals we might have okay so
2: <laughs> keep out of the okay, keep, can we just say to people stop sliding into Laura's DMs she doesn't want you if you're she's, a personal she's journey. not
6: for transforming she's not, she is no, very no, much as not. she is and as she's going to be
2: listen it was a real pleasure talking to you you can get you can catch Laura uh, with Rob on Red Raw wherever you get your podcast from but Laura pleasure talking to you thank you for that have a lovely thanks, weekend thanks Patricia you too bye-bye, bye bye that is uh, comedian Laura O'Mahony <laughs> Ours to
1: protect, brought to you by C103, the IBI, and funded by the Commission Naman with the television license fee. Check out Ours for more info.
7: This week on Ours to Protect, we speak to Harriet Burgess, the local area representative for the local electoral area of Macroom, about her efforts to have the Gira River Delta designated as a national park. Ireland currently has seven national parks, but only one of these, Killarney, is in the south. Harriet says that the Gera River Delta should definitely be considered due to its almost unique nature
8: it's so rare that a river exists the way the river does at the Gira currently. It's an inland river delta. River deltas typically form where a river meets the sea, but where it forms inland like it has done at the Gira, it's extremely rare. There are several other inland river deltas that exist in the world, but there are few and far between. One exists in Botswana called the Okavango River Delta. The line that they say about it is the river that never meets the sea. It's a huge eco-tourist destination for people who are going on safari and things like that. There's an inland river delta that exists in the Czech Republic. It's a tributary of the River Danube. Again, there's a lot of tourism around this area. It's promoted quite heavily by the government there. And again, it's backed by national legislation in that country. Another example is the River Napo in Ecuador in South America. There is a lot of ecotourism around it as well. When I started looking at other examples of these extremely rare inland river deltas, Formations in the world. It just seemed like the Gira was a bit of an outlier in terms of the amount of attention it's received nationally. Why is it that we aren't doing more to promote the Gira, and why is it that, for example, people even in Cork City don't know what I'm talking about when I say how special this place is.
7: As has been the case at other inland deltas, ecotourism forms a major part of the local economy. This is something that Harriet sees as being a major argument in favour of the designation.
8: I think if this is developed properly, I just think this has such huge potential for not only the McCroom local electorate area, but Cork County. Ireland currently has, officially speaking, there's six national parks, but Minister Noonan launched the seventh national park, which is going to be a me. I can really see the potential that a national park brings to an area and brings to a county. Everyone knows about the Clarney National Park, for example. It brings jobs to areas, it brings funding to areas, it brings tourism to areas. And I think we do need to maybe Start asking questions about, like, why Cork, for example, doesn't have a national park? Is that something that the people of Cork County want? And if that is something that people want to support, like how do we go about doing this in the best way possible? Any development to make the area a national park would have to be done in the right way. In consultation with people who have expertise in wildlife management, for example, there are parts of the Gira forest that are so untouched. It's extremely important that we manage ecotourism in the right way and ensure that there is no damage done to this extremely rare forest, which is currently regenerating itself.
7: A public meeting has been planned to get the ball rolling on the campaign and Harriet is committed to it not faltering at this stage, as has happened in the past.
8: It's receiving a really good reception. I think there's a lot of interest in this locally. I've tried to be quite proactive about this within my own party and I do think the Greens are very good on this issue. We actually held the National Party Convention in Cork in October and I was delighted to invite the Minister for Environment, Eamon Ryan, out to McCroom the day before the convention took place and he actually walked the gear with me and expressed a huge Interest in this idea that the area be designated a national park. So, I think the first thing is raising this as an important issue within the party. I think what's very important that we do is ensure that there is engagement with locals on this issue. As I think there have been previous meetings on this in the past, I don't think there's been a follow through on public meetings around the GIRA with other political parties. So, I want to ensure that after this meeting is held on the 24th of February, first of all, that I listen to the views of what local people want on this. I hear what people are thinking about the area being made a national park. Critically, I want to gauge what kind of support there is for this issue. I'm thinking something along the lines of starting a petition to see if people do want to support this issue, what's the court for that like in terms of numbers? And after that, holding further meetings down the line. There's a huge amount of local interest in this.
7: If you would like to know more about the Gira, Inland Deltas, or Ireland's other national parks, check the show notes of this episode. <laughs>
1: to protect brought to you by c103 the ibi and funded by the commission naman with the television license fee check out rstoprotect.ie for more info
2: and thanks to Stephen for this week's hours to, to uh, protect and just staying on the theme of the environment and everybody trying to do their bit to use less and less electricity it's interesting there's a report out today that shows more than a third of our electricity use last month in Ireland was generated by wind power there's a latest figures just been published by Wind Energy Ireland and it shows that the amount of electricity produced by wind farms was one of the highest ever recorded for the month of uh, January and last year of course spoke about this at the end of last year. It was a record-breaking year for wind power generation and the latest figures so far this year show that wind farms have continued to build on that success. 36% of Ireland's power was provided by wind last uh, month but the report does show the demand for electricity did increase slightly when you compare it with the same month last year but incredible to think that that much of our power was generated by wind. Now the report out today also found that the average wholesale price of electricity in Ireland per megawatt in the month of January was at just under €100. Now if you compare that till last January of last year it was at €162 euro. so that's a huge, huge drop. Now prices on days when we have a lot of wind power we very windy days here the average cost of a megawatt, a megawatt hour of electricity can go as low as just over €68 euro. and on days when we then have to solely and entirely rely on fossil fuels it goes up to €130 euro a megawatt hour and the uh, The Wind Energy Ireland group say the fall in the average price of wholesale electricity in comparison to January of last year obviously is very welcome news. But electricity generated from Irish wind farms It replaces expensive imported fossil fuels. And by adding more wind power into the system, we not only cut our carbon emissions, but ultimately we'll cut all of our electricity bills. So we need to be doing more and more to generate wind power. And one thing that I constantly advocate is to put those wind turbines out at sea. We've been talking about it for quite some time. I know it's expensive to initially put them in place, but get them all out at sea because nobody wants to be living under these huge, huge uh, turbines. But if we put them all out at sea, and wouldn't it be wonderful to think that one day we could fully generate all of our own electricity for this uh, island, be it a combination of wind power and solar power, but certainly good news for uh, January, showing a third of our electricity coming from wind power. Long may that continue. Now, the the Shea corner God be good to them. They can often come in for criticism that they don't stop crime. So it's always great when you read and hear stories that you think, well done, a lot of work went into that. And they've managed to catch uh, a number of people. This time it's three men. Now these three men are suspected of stealing more than 600,000 euro worth of power tools. That's well over half a million euro worth of power tools. Where do they take the power tools from? They've stolen them from vans across the country. And these three men have been arrested. The men... Who are all related to each other great family they 're believed to be key figures in an organized crime gang which involves the theft of equipment from vehicles used by tradespeople and I always feel so sorry for a tradesperson when we hear that their equipment has been stolen because without the tools of their trade they 're not able to do their work and it 's always heartbreaking when you hear that it happens so great to hear i mean this sounds like a really organized bunch the fact that they have stolen they reckon more than €600,000 worth of power tools. Now they were detained yesterday morning. It was during a series of Garda raids. They were at locations in Ballymun in Dublin but also at a location in Toome in County Galway and we know that when you get a criminal gang like this they operate all over the country. These criminals when they're organised they travel and it doesn't bother them how far they have to travel away from home. The arrest followed an operation which was carried out by detectives that were based in various parts of the country. So it wasn't just the Dublin uh, Gardaí that were involved here. Now the Gardaí ended up having to study hundreds upon hundreds of hours of CCTV footage before the operation pinpointing exactly where these guys were and, were, and where they weren't. So the three men were arrested or being questioned last night they were being, uh, they're all being questioned in County Roscommon in relation to what the Gardaí say are multiple offences so they're not just picking them up for one break-in to uh, a van. They're suspected of being involved in the theft of €100,000 worth of high-powered tools from work vans. And that's just in recent months alone. They include, for example, one incident that happened in Kilkenny last week. Thousands of euro worth of power tools were taken in nine van break-ins. So they descend on an area and then they rip through as many of the vans as they can, get the power tools and voom, they're gone. Now, the gang primarily is based in Mum but the members have very strong connections in Toome in County Galway but they've also discovered that they have strong connections in other parts of rural Ireland and that's the key to this. The fact that they have and I don't know whether they're all family members are part of their gang in rural Ireland but they have people dotted all over the country and it's that network that enabled them then their network around the country had them to identify and target vehicles that contain high value goods so it isn't opportunistic crimes not just suddenly going into like Kilkenny, for example, where they they were last week and deciding, oh, we'll just hit this area. They would have had people in the area working out exactly where these vans are parked up overnight. And traditionally, that's what tradesmen do. They go home after the day's work and they park up probably in the same place every single night so they would have these guys their own cr- criminals their own part of their gang out doing the 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 work in advance the advance team almost and then they decide on what day the criminals are going to arrive and then they'll they'll attack as I say it was about nine vans were broken into in Kilkenny um, the uh, one criminal in his 60s who was related to the men in custody is understood to be the most senior figure he seems to be like the Don of the group However, he has yet to be arrested in connection with the investigation. I suppose he's the one organising it and is to try to pinpoint and get the, the information that they need to point a finger at this guy. An uncle and a nephew are under investigation they have over 500 convictions between them I mean that's just incredible so they've been before the courts 500 convictions and that's just between two an uncle and a nephew the nephew was arrested in Ballymun and the officers are now still seeking to detain the uncle so they don't have the uncle yet now during an incident last month a man was assaulted in Enfield in County Meath that's when this poor guy tried to tackle the thieves who were stealing tools from him and then in the space of a couple of days last month, the this same gang were suspected of stealing 12,000 euro worth of tools, that was in Ashburn in County Meath and that was shortly after 1,600 euro worth of equipment was stolen from Dunboyne and as part of the same crime spree, all obviously happened in probably one twenty four hour pe- period, 7,000 euro worth of tools were taken from a carberry in County Kildare. Now detectives have established that one arm of the gang is involved in stealing the tools and then they have a second arm of the gang and they sell them on. Now, where are they selling them? They're often being sold in markets, car boot sales, things like that, but they're selling them on both sides of the border. That's why it is so important if you go along to any of these car boot sales. And car boot sales are great things and people love going along to them and you can get great bargains, but you really need to stop and think What you're buying, especially if it's very equipment, power tools and asking where have these power tools uh, come from? Uh, Because ultimately you could be buying a bargain by not realising it has been stolen by somebody. And lo and behold, you could find your. your is, you, it, you go on to get targeted next, and all your power tools are gone. So well done to the Gardi. That looks like that was a major investigation that took so much time. I mean, the hundreds of hours of CCTV footage, that literally, uh, the amount of manpower that went into it. Well, well done. Three arrested and before the uh, courts. 0818103103. John Paul taking your calls. Next Tuesday, by the way, is Pancake Tuesday. I just saw this. It's come out from the Central Statistics Office. If you're planning on making pancakes, and there's nothing more wonderful than making pancakes on Pancake Tuesday, we're all going to have to spend a little bit more making our pancakes because the ingredients have gone up. There'll be three, 3% more to make your pancakes this year than it was last year. Ahead of Pancake Tuesday, the Central Statistics Office, they delved into the cost of flour, Eggs and milk, the main three items that you need for making pancakes. And they compared today's prices against what they wore this time last year the bag of flour that's the important one a 2kg bag of self-raising flour that's gone up by 10% and the 6 eggs have gone up by 3% I I thought eggs were gone up even higher I'm finding eggs have gone very expensive anyway they're up by 3% that's over last year Um, the one thing that has come down though is your your full fat milk 2 litres of full fat milk have come down by 3% it was 2.26 this time last year and it's down to 2.18 if you put sugar on your pancake and who doesn't then that's going to cost you a little bit more because unfortunately sugar has really gone up. Sugar has gone, gone up by 24% uh, in the last uh, year. Now, they didn't put in the price of lemons, by the way, because I have to have the sugar and the lemon uh, juice and they didn't put that in because that's not in the average basket of goods and uh, services. So if you're going to make your pancakes, they would be a little bit more expensive. And actually, just because of the week that's in it, of course, the Shrove Tuesday is happening um, on the same week as Valentine's Day. Central Statistics Office also looked at the cost of the traditional items that people buy for uh, Valentine's Day. Chocolates have increased by 9% and flowers have gone up by just slightly up year on year, just 0.7%. So less than 1% if you're buying the dozen uh, red uh, roses, but the chocolates are up by 9%. Uh, percent. And actually I was talking to somebody in this building, he'll remain nameless because I don't know whether he wants to talk about it or not, but he was talking about an ad that he heard for Valentine's Day and it was saying, you know, buy your loved one this Valentine's Day and it was, you know, a big very large TV or the latest coffee machine that was on the market and why not treat your loved one this Valentine's Day You know, to a new coffee machine or a new TV and he was making the point whatever happened to the day on Valentine's Day where you just bought a card and a box of chocolates and sure if the wife was really lucky she might have got a bunch of flowers from the garage what has happened to those days The C103 Cork Diary
1: Cork County Council, making Cork County the place to live, work, visit and invest in. See CorkCoco.ie.
2: There is a coffee morning on this Sunday. It's going to be in Castletown Kenna Hall and it's right after the 10am Mass. And as we mentioned, Drumahans old national school is due to be demolished and this is to facilitate the new building. And with that in mind, this evening they're holding an evening of memories. It's from half past three. So as soon as school closes, they leave the doors open and they'll be open Open until seven o'clock tonight, where old roll books and photographs will be on display. Everyone, especially past pupils of Drumahan National School, are very welcome to come along and browse through all of the memorabilia. Besber Social Club will be held tomorrow, Saturday, at 1 pm until 3. It's in the Besber Daycare in uh, Blackrock in Cork. All are welcome. And it is particularly a great day out for all of the family. And a Sunday afternoon tea dance. This is in aid of uh, Ethiopia Deaf Project. That'll be held in Ballyfahan Community Centre next Sunday. It's between 3 and 5 past between three and half past five and Killer Choir with guests Ale Chorus the Amigos are presenting excerpts from Carmen and the Gondoliers it'll be in Killer Hall on Sunday three o'clock in the afternoon Our tickets are 15 euro and they're available at the door and a reminder that Bingo is on tonight it's on in Mallow at the GAA complex, 8 o'clock start, 4,700 is the jackpot. And also in Kildallery, in the store at the Creamery Yard, 8 o'clock start, their jackpot is 3,500 euros. Cork today on C103
1: with McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.
2: I was talking about the rising cost of pancakes in advance of. Of the start of Lent uh, next week. Somebody wants to point out, Patricia, it's Shrove Tuesday, not Pancake Tuesday. Well, I think if you listen back to what I said, I think I included both because I'm conscious that, yes, some people call it Shrove uh, Tuesday, especially people of uh, Catholic faith. But not everybody calls it Shrove Tuesday. Other people call it Pancake Tuesday. So I'll try to cover it for mm. everybody. But sorry if I if I offended you by saying Pancake Tuesday. It is also known as Shrove Tuesday. But if you listen back, I do think I said uh, both. And then someone else, when I was pointing. Pointing out that chocolates have gone up. Valentine's Day next Wednesday is Ash Wednesday and wants to remind people it is a day of fast. So if you do get the chocolates where you can hold hold out and then if you're giving up chocolates for lunch you'll be holding out for them until uh, Easter Sunday. And then when I spoke about the fact that the cost of making a pancake this year will be three percent more than what you paid last year. Somebody said Ireland has gone mad, Patricia. I've just paid fifteen euro for a 10 kg bag of potatoes. Ireland has gone uh, mad. And talking of price increases, I did an email in to Cork today at C103.ie from Frank to say, Hi Patricia, I just received a notification from Calor Gas that they are increasing their prices from the 6th of February. Why are they increasing their prices? When and all of the other gas suppliers are reducing their prices. Can you investigate this, please? Their increases always seem to happen just before I'm due delivery. How strange is that, thanking you, uh, says Frank. Well, John Paul did a bit of a deep dive on this when this email uh, arrived yesterday. And uh, he says that Calor Gas did announce last August that there would be uh, increases. I don't know if they specifically said there'd be an increase in February, but they were forecasting that there would be uh, increases. But all I would say is that when we hear of any kind of a utility, you know, be it gas, be it electricity, your phone provider, your house insurance, your car insurance, shop around, to shop around. You may be able to get it cheaper uh, somewhere else. And talking of shopping around and everybody is keeping an eye on rising prices and some things are coming down, but things are certainly not coming down fast enough for, for most uh, people. Hundreds of thousands of customers of Sky Ireland are to be hit with price uh, rises after Sky has said they're increasing their broadband and they're also increasing their TV subscription service fees. The move will mean an average increase for most households of about €52 a year. And Sky say they're increasing their prices from April Of this year. Now, the average increase will be 4.1%. And that you may remember if you're a Sky customer, there was a similar hike last year. However, the Sky rise is less than many of its competitors have imposed. And they've switched to a model of annual increases of around 4% plus the rate of inflation. And that's a model that I think only came in last year and it certainly is widely used by telephone companies. I know Vodafone certainly uh, do it, but yet Vodafone had increases, uh, they increased their prices by 11% last year and I know Air also do it. They'll go with the average rate of inflation plus whatever figure they decide. Sky Ireland's higher prices come into effect on the 1st of April and letters by the way have started to go out to customers to let them know that Sky are increasing their bills the entertainment and broadband giant they've around 600,000 customers so they've a lot of customers in this country but they also employ a lot of people there's about a thousand customers of Sky and I have to say if ever you have to deal with Sky over the phone they're particularly they're one of the good ones you know when you get onto call centres I, you know, I don't know what the wait time is like for it, but I know they are particularly helpful when you get onto uh, Sky but anyway uh, they, they, not all customers will face paying more uh, the price increase doesn't impact fibre to home. It won't impact Sky Glass or if you're a Sky Stream customer. The price rise also doesn't apply to Sky Sports or to Sky Cinema and is not on Sky products such as their ultra high definition or their multi-room options. So it's not going, it's not right across the board. Now, when they were asked about the planned price rise. A spokesperson for Sky Ireland said their aim is to always keep costs as low as possible don't we always hear that? Um, But they said however the cost of providing services has continued to increase significantly and they say it's affecting the entire industry Sky Ireland say that where possible it does try to absorb the costs in order to try to limit the impact that they pass on to customers and then Dara Dara Cassidy who we often speak with on this programme he's with the price comparison website bonkers.ie He said broadband and TV plans are getting more expensive and he says many families now are paying well over a €100 a month and he said the €100 a month can be for a pretty standard package whereas once upon a time if you were paying €100 a month for your TV you'd be getting bells and whistles and you'd be getting everything with it but a standard package now is coming in at about that. He says this latest hike from Sky. He said it'll mean about 50 euro a year extra. And he said, look, while he accepts 50 euro you know, spread out over the year, doesn't sound like a huge sum of money. But he said it comes on the back of price hikes for many other things for households over the past uh, few years. And can I say, in particular, uh, people's electricity bills. I mean, electricity bills now are, anyone who's on the same billing cycle is, as that I'm on, I got an electricity bill yesterday, I think earlier on in the week, um, and this was for December and January, And it's all was one of my highest bills. But certainly from when prices started to rise, it is double what it normally was, even though I'm thankful to the government there was 150 euro off it where people are starting to get you know a bit of a scare when they see electricity bills arriving. So all the other bills are going up. So so while, you know, Sky might say, Asher it's only an extra fifty euro a year spread out over the year, but it's just that added on to um, another bill that's gone up by 50 euro, another bill that's gone up by 100 euro. When you add it all up, some families really are struggling. And the latest sky hike in broadband and TV service costs is set to be followed by its competitors because that's what always happens. Once one moves with a price move, it's almost like it's telling its competitors, come on, you can move uh, uh, as well. But, you know, they are saying it's the annual increases. It's all to do with the, the rate of inflation. And we know while inflation is coming down, it still is higher than what than what it was a couple of years ago, so you 've got Air, three Vodafone, Sky, and Virgin customers, all of them last year put up hikes on their TV broadband and mobile packages and now the sky has started, we can expect air. Three Vodafone and Virgin to follow suit but that should not deter anyone from shopping around and inflation and the soaring rates of doing business in this country was blamed and we hear that from so many other businesses it's all to do with the cost of doing business is so much higher in this country than other countries and hence the reason we seem to pay more for everything Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. 103 John Paul taking your calls if you want to text our WhatsApp you can to 086 Two, 103 103. Cork today on C103.
1: With McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
2: A couple of uh, texts in all this chat about Valentine's Day and all the fuss going with it, says the texter. What about a poor man like me? Not even a hug or any form of affection. It's all about people being lovey-dovey. And oh, my heart goes out to you. And Joe, in Dom on Sky says Patricia, I disagree. Sky are not that helpful. It took me a whole week to cancel my subscription. I was put on hold time and time again. But then I rang back and said, "Oh, I'm a new customer and I'd like to sign up for Sky." Lo and behold, I was put through to an agent immediately. I'll never be a Sky customer again, says Joanne O'Manwy. Yeah, okay, I, I've heard that before countless times from people when they try to cancel, they do seem to try to make it as difficult as possible. They're trying to hold hold on to you as a, a customer. What I was referencing was any time I've dealt with them when there's a problem I've always found the customer service people can be most friendly but I've never had to cancel it yet Uh, but yeah that is a, a different story for sure Thank you for your text Joe to 0862 103 103 Mark Malone is our movie reviewer Good afternoon to you Mark Hi Patricia And two movies for us The Beekeeper and Maestro We're going to have a trailer from The Beekeeper
1: repeat after me we'll never steal from the weak and the vulnerable again it's gonna be a fire
6: okay thanks
3: this is a beekeeper a special program outside the chain of command when the system is corrupt I corrected it
1: I've stolen millions from people who've worked hard all their lives
6: we have laws for these things
1: until they fail then you have me
2: Okay, we've got a, a, an action, is it a thriller as well, an action movie here?
9: Yeah, it's, it's, well, it's Jason There's Statham. It's Jason Statham, so it's uh, got to be, yeah. Yeah, it's a Statham yeah. movie, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's this a is, beekeeper. He is a beekeeper. Well, yeah, I'll tell you what, he's a beekeeper, but he's a beekeeper with hidden talents. As you are. Yeah, <laughs> uh, He's a special forces opera- operator. Well, he oh. used to be anyway, because that seems to be the way of every second movie I watch these days. Everybody seems to have uh, this kind of special kind of forces kind of background. And uh, yeah, so he is a beekeeper. Uh, this is directed by David Ayer, who um, has directed a couple of really good movies that I've liked in the past. He directed End of Watch with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. He also directed uh, a World War II movie about um, a tank crew uh, with Brad Pitt. It's called Fury, which is another movie that uh, I really, really liked indeed as well. And so this is uh, this stars Jason, Jason Statham as... A beekeeper uh, with a kind of um, a hidden background um, he's a beekeeper on the grounds of uh, this uh, lovely woman who he meets and she allows him to stay on and use and keep bees on her land uh, because apparently the um, the bees have improved the land and so they get on very very well at one stage he says to her you know I'm not used to people being nice to me so thanks very much indeed for that uh, she goes into her home that, that night she opens up her computer and she finds she's got a computer virus okay. and so of course what does she do she calls one of those call centres but the problem it's it's one of those naughty uh, call centres. Of course, they go on her computer. They take all her money. She was also involved with a charity for young children, and that uh, account was linked to her bank account. So they take the two million as well. Oh. And of course, she's absolutely heartbroken by that, and she decides to commit suicide. Now, you might think, oh, Mark, Mark that's a bit of a spoiler. Okay, all this happens in the first uh, you okay. know few minutes of the film. It's all, you know what I mean. And so we know of that. And so when um, uh, when Statham goes to see her, of course, he finds the body. He is then so. Um, comes into contact with the woman's daughter who holds a gun to his head she turns out apparently to be an FBI uh, operative and arrests him for the murder they discover that really obviously it's suicide so therefore he is let go but because of course he had this relationship with uh, this uh, young woman's mother uh, he decides to take the law into his own hands
2: what he goes in search of the scammers
9: Uh, he does yeah and kills every single one of them oh (laughs) So it's funny. Last week I was watching the. I was talking about the holdovers with Paul Giamatti, and I was saying, you know, what a wonderful film it was, and how it's an antidote, like you know, to a lot of these really boring, dull action movies that I watch. So I wasn't really, really sure if I wanted to see this or not. But actually, it's much, much better than you might think. Certainly, the first half of the film I think is uh, is, is really good fun. Um, it's set in Massachusetts, but it was actually filmed in the UK. And throughout the film, I was thinking that part of Massachusetts is very cloudy, and and that was why it was also a very, very small, low budget film. They only made it for about. 50 million, which actually, you know, it's
2: a low budget, which is low yeah. budget,
9: really. And they filmed it in the UK because of that reason. And but it has done really well. And again, it's just one of these films that I think, you know, where word of mouth, um, you know, uh, projects the film to a higher level uh, of success. And uh, it, it's made 124 million, I think, Not so done. far at the box office. So it has ver- done very, very well. There are parts of it, all right, which of course are nonsense, they don't make sense. There's an awful lot of it too, where it's uh, incredibly violent. I mean, it could be the equalizer, you could you kind know, of take. Denzel Washington put him there and say all those uh, same things although there's not much script here to be really uh, honest I mean I shouldn't compare it to Die Hard but I think Die Hard had something like 125 pages of script which is kind of unheard of because uh, uh, for an action film but that's what made it so great because it wasn't just simply about action it wasn't just simply about violence but this is I mean this could have been written on a handkerchief it really really could Is
2: it very violent?
9: It's extraordinarily violent yeah and it gets more violent as the film goes on because the film kind of took the mickey out of itself it knew what it was doing it knew it was trying to kind of reconnect with those fans that loved those 90s action movies um, but as the film kind of went on it began to kind of take itself a little bit too seriously which I thought was a, was, was a, was a bit of a shame but there are lots of beekeeping puns which will keep you occupied uh, throughout it so look if you're a fan um, and you like Jason Statham you liked all of those kind of old violent movies that were made back in the 90s and the 2000s this is for you and the fans seem to like it and it's been a big success
2: and actually it's funny only this morning when I saw that you were going to review a movie called The uh, called The Beekeeper just by Shea coincidence, because uh, we know how important bees are for uh, for the survival of the, of the planet. There is There um, is there there is an um, exhibition that's going on in the National Museum of Country Life in Mayo that shows how important bees are in supporting biodiversity. So obviously when I saw the beekeeper, said, oh, what is this all about? <laughs> okay, uh, so bees do feature, but not uh, it, it is an action uh, thriller. Mark it out of 10? I'm sure fans would give it 10, but I'll 10. give it a 7. 7 out of 10. Yeah. Okay. Now, your second movie is Maestro and I've seen this this is on a streaming service and I know I attempted one day to look at it and I thought oh god I think that's a bit dark for me
9: mm-hmm.
2: um,
9: yeah. Bradley Cooper isn't it it's Bradley Cooper yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's, he wrote it he directed it he produced it he's starring it and um, he made the cup of tea uh, for everybody mm-hmm. uh, throughout the day as well um, this has kind of an interesting background because at one stage Martin Scorsese was uh, going to direct it but uh, he decided to go away and make The Irishman instead then Steven Spielberg came in and Spielberg said I'll direct it um, but then as time went on he had uh, other things to do and he found that he couldn't do it he then watched The Star Is Born and said to uh, Bradley Cooper you're a brilliant director you should direct this movie so Scorsese and um, Spielberg have stayed on as uh, producers of this film uh, a biopic uh, about uh, um, a maestro uh, about um, um, Leonard, Leonard Bernstein, Bernstein yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's about his life and times but basically what the film really does is it concentrates on his relationship with his wife which was very kind of tumultuous and very very you know it was a difficult relationship for a number of reasons which I'll go into in a couple of seconds um, so, like when we first met him, he became a big, big star at the age of 25 because he was working with the New uh, New York Philharmonic, and a guest uh, conductor kind of fell ill. So he was asked at the age of 25 to conduct this to orchestra, step in, yeah. and um, it, uh, it it received this incredible reaction from the audience, and it catapulted him to fame uh, just for conducting an orchestra. And you might think, well, that's a bit odd. I mean, all, all surely all a conductor does is just keep the tempo, but apparently it's an art form. Apparently, there's way more to it than that because I think the right hand with the stick is, is keeping the tempo Mm. but also the left hand is giving cues to the um, The to the orchestra yeah Yeah. and it's supposed to be extraordinary and there are a couple of moments where we see that especially um, when um, Bradley Cooper is at Eli uh, Cathedral and it's filmed all in one take and he spent six years something like to learn this particular um, uh, performance Bradley Cooper did yeah and to get it (laughs) to get it right it took six years to do it he also uh, plays the piano in this he learned how to play the piano uh, in this as well so he has put an awful lot of effort into it talent a guy
2: isn't he very much so yeah
9: but there has been a lot of controversy about it of course and you might have read about it, it's all down to the nose because of course Bradley Cooper is not Jewish and I was looking at photographs and I've seen um, you know, Leonard Bernstein and I don't yeah. think he had a particularly big nose but for some reason they decided to give him this large nose. <laughs> I'm like, trying to
2: think, yeah, well, you, well, yeah you would have looked at Leonard Bernstein and said that's a Jewish nose. Well, yeah, I'm exactly. Trying to think, would you, yeah,
9: yeah. And that's why, yeah, some Jewish people in the States consider it to be offensive and that, yeah. uh, you know, they shouldn't have done it and you do spend a lot of the time looking at this nose and again, and ser- is
2: it way over the
9: top? I think so. In a kind of Serrano de Bergerac kind of way, you're going, that's a big nose. nose yeah. Uh, which is a shame. I, I don't think they necessarily had to do that. The other controversy, too, as well, uh, was um, the, uh, the, the the wife here is, um, um, the character here isn't uh, uh, Puerto Rican at all, either. There was a lot of controversy uh, about that as well. um it's gotten lots of nominations best film best actress best original screenplay best makeup <laughs> so there are people who for, think the the for the yeah. nose for the nose so um, my problem with it though is that for a biopic, you would think really that um, the film would concentrate on his work um, a lot of the time like I wanted to know about West Side Story I wanted to know how he came up with the songs in West Side Story because yeah. like uh, the, the, the story of the film itself could make a film I mean it was, it was a very very difficult project that, that he was involved in they don't mention West Side Story at all in the sure film. They not one reference and I oh. don't remember there being any reference and that's what I wanted to see I wanted to see him hard working and the graft of a composer tra- you know trying to get his work done uh, but we don't see that there are references uh, there's a slight reference to On the Town for example which is one of my favourite films with Gene Kelly and *Candide*. But, but there's none at all unfortunately uh, to um, um, to that, that particular film which is a bit of a shame I think the film concentrates on the, re- the relationship between him and his wife which i say was very tempestuous because he was having lots of affairs lots of affairs with men as well, because he was bisexual. bisexual yeah, and, I read that about him. And yes, and um, and that constantly. And you know, he liked to drink and he liked to party, um, but it doesn't really. Kind of, it kind of stays away from a lot of the controversial aspects of his life. For example, you know, he, you know, he loved to invite the Black Panthers to uh, his house, for example, and feed them uh, champagne and oysters and stuff like that. Okay. And just to get up the nose of um, of, of um, President Nixon, who he hated, and Nixon hated him as well. He liked to shock people. He, you know, he, he kissed a man in front of a very conservative Jimmy Carter once, for example, and Carter didn't like it. At yeah, so all. he was a
2: very controversial character. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. and
9: they don't tend to kind of, con- you know, concentrate on those controversial aspects of him, basically. And Bradley Cooper has kind of just, you know, portrayed him as a, a happy-go-lucky kind of guy um, with a kind of a darker kind of side to him. Um, but it is very well acted. Um, although I, I got the impression every time I was watching Bradley Cooper because not only did he have all the prosthetics and uh, did look like Bernstein as he got a bit older, he, um, he was wearing a lot of prosthetics and he was doing the voice and it was like a performance. You knew he was acting all the time, uh, which, is a, you know, which, which is a bit of a shame.
2: Which you don't know normally get with Bradley Cooper.
9: Exactly, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but that's, that's only just a personal thing uh, for me. The performances are very good. The film looks good. Uh, but it is about this love-hate story. It's not really a biopic about uh, this great composer. For me, I'd like to have seen and known more about his work uh, rather than the relationship. Really. Yeah, and,
2: and I think people will come to this because when people realise who it's about, people will come to that story looking for what they know about the man.
9: Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. And we don't see that. Yeah, like,
2: I really thought West Side Story was going to be a major part of it.
9: So did I, and I was really looking forward to that. And I, you know, I wanted to know about his other work too, like On the Town and like Candide yeah. and, and, and so on. Um, but we don't see that, unfortunately. But you know, there's an awful lot of... Scenes of him and his wife, kind of arguing, um, uh, <laughs> mainly in a bedroom with him in his shorts. There's an awful lot of that, okay. unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, but look, it's worth watching for the performances. It's, them I, th-
2: I think it's up. Isn't it? Is it up for best film in the Oscars? I know yeah, best film. It, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it is best yeah. film. Yeah. Okay, so Mark Maestro out of ten. I th- I'll give it a seven as well. Seven out yeah. of ten. All right. Listen. Thank you as always, Mark. Have a lovely week, and uh, we will talk to you next week. That's a Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. The Beekeeper was the first movie, and the second one there. Maestro. Miriam by Tech says, should I hear you say Shrove Tuesday is next week? Surely it's too early for Lent. No, Easter is very early this year. Easter is on the last Sunday of March. 31st of March is Easter Sunday. So yeah, we're kicking off at Lent next uh, Wednesday. Now before I go, can I wish the best of luck to everybody involved in Breakthrough Cancer Research. Their West Cork lunch is on tomorrow Saturday in the West cork Hotel in Skibbereen. To everybody going along, have a wonderful wonderful day and that is a great, great or- Organisation Breakthrough Cancer Research. That's where I leave you for today and for this week. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, and we'll be back with you on Monday morning for another week of the programme. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Today on C103
1: with McCarthy Insurance Group, proud sponsors of the Cork GAA Club Football Leagues and Championships for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.